Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining me on this, uh, this special episode and special return. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. It's been a while, so I, I guess we should just let people know that uh, Criterion Now is back on Criterion Cast, and I'm excited to be back. Thanks for uh, being so supportive and a uh, friend of the show and, uh, you know, partners previously and partners again, or I shouldn't say partners, <laughs> uh, 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 network uh, members or affiliates, um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strange uh, relationship that we have, but I'm happy to have you back, and I want to support you and as many of the podcasters on your network on the 25th frame as possible in this uh, transition uh, you know, away from that network, but I'm sure that everyone will find good homes uh, wherever they end up. Absolutely, and I think this is actually a really strong episode to come back with. I think this is... Uh, we, I had a really enjoyable uh conversation with Matthew Modine and Adam Rakoff. So uh, before we get to that, I just want wanted to ask, uh, do you have anything planned for Criterion Cast end of the year episodes uh, that you want to talk about? Sure. I mean, we are planning, so when around whenever this episode goes up, we'll be recording our end of the year kind of favorites of 2019 episode uh, talking about, typically we do our top three releases of the year and then talk about our favorite uh, cover art and our favorite supplements and so that's tentatively scheduled for next friday which will be the week <laughs> before christmas i don't know how quickly i will edit it and get it up but it'll probably go up the week of christmas and then we're also kicking around the idea of doing a best of the decade uh criterion release uh, episode and so that's that's something that we haven't really ironed out yet who's going to be on or what what our picks are going to be or how that's going to be structured and how we're going to keep it into a manageable <laughs> length just because talking about 10 years worth of criterion releases is kind of uh, a big undertaking and so we that's 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 in the that's in the air and i don't know if it's going to definitely happen but it's something that we all want to do yeah, sounds fun and then after that, you know, there's always the we're, we're only like a couple of weeks away from Christmas and then New Year's and which means there's going to be another uh, wacky New Year's drawing to kind of break apart and talk about. So that's uh, it's just it's it's crazy how fast this year has gone. But it's, you know, we have another one right around the corner. Yeah, I know. It's so much fun, too. I can't wait till especially New Year's. And uh, yeah, that, those all sound like fun. Of course, 10 years of Criterion. It's probably going to be off, just your favorite Criterion picks, so for the most part. Um, well, as it happens, uh, as we record today, I received a autographed copy of Shortcuts in the mail, which was um, I knew it was coming, but it was a nice surprise uh, to, when we record this intro. And uh, so, listeners, stay tuned to the end. There's a, a little um, opportunity to uh, for, for a special listener to get one of those. And I'll just let you guys know that, uh, so this was Matthew Modine and Adam Rakoff, and we don't really introduce Adam in the episode right off. Uh, we talk about what he does later, but, um, but he's uh, Matthew's producing partner, and he's worked on a few projects with him, and also just good friends. Um, and so on this episode, we talk about Matthew's Criterion visit, which I thought was a lot of fun. And then we talk about uh, the different directors he's worked with, uh, Robert Altman, uh, Spike Lee, of course, Alan Parker, and... Uh, of course, Stanley Kubrick, uh, probably the biggest of them all, uh, especially for us, um, us cinephiles. And um, and also there was a, a special connection that we had uh, that we kind of uh, discussed. Uh, so I, I appreciated that. 
Uh, one thing I should mention is that we talked about Bamboozled as, uh, and we had a good conversation about ban- Bamboozled, uh, but we didn't know at the time that it was coming out on the Criterion uh, Collection, so uh, just we were just pretending. So there you go. Uh, and thanks, Ryan, and everybody enjoy Matthew Modine. We always uh, introduce our guests alphabetically, and so, hey, Adam Rakoff, hello. Hello, thanks for having me. And, uh, and when Matthew Modine. Wait a minute, Rakoff, R comes, R comes after M. Oh, yeah, we... First, only, he, only beat, he only beats me with his first name. <laughs> That's right. There's no other way I could beat you. That, and I beat you both <laughs> with my first name, and actually, yeah, last on my last name. But I'm glad, thrilled to have you. Uh, big fan, and and we'll we'll get into it. But uh, I think you'll you'll find it interesting. I, I have a little personal connection with you. Um, actually, before we get I, I, there's another one I mentioned to Adam earlier. When I was a kid, I got told I was lo- I looked like you. So um, so thank you for that. <laughs> well. Uh... Uh, we're all brothers and sisters. That's what the DNA has proven. That we're all from the same, like it or not, uh, we're 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 all brothers and sisters. So, hello, brother. Hello, brother. Um, yeah, it was the hair. So my, you had great hair. You still have great hair, by the way. I'm um, I don't have the same hair as I did in the eighties, um, but my it was the the way you had the uh, the big I guess the bangs. So I, I had kind of like natural hair like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, I got, I got, Hey, uh, Matthew Modine and, uh, worked out for me. So <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, thrilled to have you. Thanks. Uh, thanks. I, I'm thrilled to know you're a film fan and, uh, and interest, interested in education and preservation and all that. So, um, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And well, just to kick it off. Uh, so I understand you visited the criterion offices. They, they should tweeted a photo out um so how did uh how did that experience go well it was extraordinary um i was i i thought about it after i'd left that had i gone into the closet the criterion closet um 10 15 years ago i i wonder how much i could have talked about the films that existed inside that closet and because what happens over a long career is that you, like a spider's web, uh, every every film that I was pulling off the shelf, there was some thread to another thread, a, a connection to a connection of, of somebody that I, I knew, somebody that I'd worked with, that that I, I wasn't just a, a fan of, of the people who had made the movie, who worked on it, and, and the actors that performed within it. But I, I had a personal connection to almost every DVD that I pulled off the shelf, um, even even ones that were made, bef- you know, before I was in the business, and, and some before I was born, uh, because of people that worked on the film that I subsequently worked with on on other films. So it was uh, like David Watkins, you know, for instance, the cinematographer David Watkins. Um, uh, it was, it was, uh, so it, it made it very special to, 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 to realize that, that I wasn't just an actor who, uh, is a fan of, of the motion picture industry, but I was really a member of, a of a, of a great family of a history of, of, uh, 
of storytelling and um uh I, it was it was you know i felt quite honored yeah I, I imagine it has to be overwhelming and I, and i love that you speaking of films before you were working you in the image that they posted you had two uh, noir films which of course were posting or doing this in november which people call noir member so it's very appropriate um can you um without spoiling you the closet video that'll probably come out uh, hopefully in the next few weeks months uh, whenever they put it out uh, are are you a film noir fan or how did that come come about no i love film noir and but those the, the films that i pulled off those a couple of films that i pulled off the uh, the shelf there uh, were recommendations from the criterion staff uh that that i had not seen them uh and they they made the strong recommendation for them. Good recommendations. So, I, I would advocate uh, in a lonely place any day. I think that's one of the best noirs ever made. So um, yeah, you're in for a treat. Mm-hmm. Anything else jump at you? I mean, not that. Uh, I'm sure you saw your own movies. Uh, short shortcuts. Well, movie because um, I think you only have one in the collection at at, the, at present, right? Um, I think there's two. There's two. Is there, isn't there another one in there, Adam? I think I think it's just uh, that's currently available. It's just shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are rumors of another one coming. So uh, and, and we'll, yeah. we'll we'll get to that one. Um, so I, I like how you said that, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you didn't uh, didn't foresee yourself, I guess, having um, the the exposure to these films and you, and you know more. Can you can you share your thoughts about film and preservation and um uh, and um, Adam mentioned you're in, really into teaching film as well. Um, well, it, it uh, you know, begins a long, long time ago. My father was a drive-in theater manager. And um, so I had, you know, exposure to, to the movie business from my childhood, my infancy. Um, you know, sometimes just sitting in the car waiting for my dad to get home from work on a summer night and, and watching movies that some of them were inappropriate for a person my age to have been watching. Um, but, uh, I, I re- what, what, what you saw having grown up around the drive-in movies and, and, uh, the theaters that my dad managed and the movie theaters, uh, when we moved to, from California to, to Utah, um, was the impact that, that, uh, this visual art form had on, on its audiences. Um, that, that, that sometimes it's just a, a horror movie or a mm-hmm. silly comedy or a cowboy, you know, Western. Uh, but, but sometimes there would be movies that came along that, that, that had a deeper impact on the people's lives and made them uh, become aware of, of uh, their personal prejudices or uh, miss misgotten political beliefs, you know, uh, and, and altered the way they, they, they perceived the world. And those, those were ones that, that I tended to, to lean toward. Um, I mean, I, I, I do love a good comedy and a horror film and an uh, action movie, but when you see a movie like, like one of the ones from my childhood, Midnight Cowboy, oh, great with Dustin Hoffman yeah, and, and uh, John Boyd, directed by John Schlesinger, who I later worked with in a movie called Pacific Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with Mel- Melanie Griffith and Michael Keaton. Um, it, it, you know, that film was rated X when it came out. And, and today I think it would probably be a soft R, but, um, the, the movie was, was about so much, but most, it, 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 the, it, the, I think the bottom line of what that movie is about is friendship and, and, uh, child abuse and, you know, the, the way he was abused as a young man by, I don't know if it was his mother or his grandmother, that the John Boyce character yeah. and when he moves to New York city become become a gigolo um but uh, but it, you know it, it's such a young age i think i was 11 or 12 years old when that movie came out and i saw it wow um it it uh it 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 it, bend, it bends you you know it, it you know we go through life or we, maybe we come into life with with blinders on or rather probably the opposite we probably come into the world seeing everything equally and beautifully and and we don't see race or religion or political beliefs uh uh and but and and we get put by our society by our parents blinders on that that force us to see a certain way right they restrict mm-hmm. our our mm-hmm. world view our peaceful world view and uh and then become materialistic as we, as we grow and, and want things for ourselves. And, uh, it's mine. It's, this is mine. and You can't have it. Uh, you know, all, all that stuff is kind of imposed on, on us as we, as we're growing up. And then we meet this art form, the motion picture industry, visual storytelling that can help us to start to remove those blinders and and remind us to be more childlike and to see the world and all the people that we share it with in in a in a fair and equal light and uh so that that that's i i love being a part of this profession for for that reason and 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 many others but um that's brilliant that that so so film preservation uh, is is in, in in for me like when you travel to uh, Europe and you, you get the opportunity to visit Greece or mm-hmm. Italy or or you know uh, Turkey where places that the Roman Empire existed where they would go to at great expense build amphitheaters in in sides of mountains and carve out these places where people could come and sing songs and tell stories. Because it, 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 you know it, it was that they knew that this was something that culturally was very important for the advent advancing of civilization, and um, you know movie theaters, if you squint your eyes just so, uh, kind of resemble amphitheaters, you know where uh, we we gather and we come together as communities to sit and listen to a story be told to us. And uh, so, so preserving those stories of of films that have culturally uh, removed those those blinders and and helped us to have a more worldview and and to see each other more peacefully and e- with with greater equality is is a is a valuable important art form that that uh, we need pre- need to preserve. Yeah, and, and it's a lens and to the, the past too. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. Yeah, and the, and those amphitheaters were, were communal experiences, just yeah. like going to a movie theater or a drive-in theater. So that's something that we are starting to lose more and more with people mm-hmm. sitting at home and watching 
Netflix by themselves. So it's interesting, you know, to see that there is such a history of communally enjoying a performance or a story being told and experiencing it in that oh, way. Absolutely. Yeah. Laughing together or crying together. I mean, we just watched Jojo Rabbit the other day and, uh, and, and ex- that's a great movie to see with an audience because it's, you know, it's whether you like it or not, it's both moving, it's funny, it's. Uh, but Matt, Matthew, you've starred in so many fantastic movies. I mean, I think you've had, I don't know what, three, four decades now of a career. I mean, really, really stellar body of work. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you. In any, it's about four decades. Now. Four decades. Wow. I mean, yeah, you're, and you're still going strong. Are there any films out there, and I'm sure that, you know, I, we'll talk about a few here, but I'm sure there are many, many that we'll, we just don't have time to get to that are probably beloved to you that may not have uh, seen the light of day. So any films, and I know that there's one that you directed, but any that you've acted in that you think um, is right for rediscovery or, 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 or could, you know, kind of bring out that kind of experience that you think uh, is worthy of preservation, um, special to you maybe? Um there's one that Alan Pakula directed, written by Lyle Kessler, w- that I did with Albert Finney and Kevin J. O'Connor, or Kevin Kevin Anderson, uh, excuse me, Kevin Anderson, uh, called Orphans. And, you know, when we made that movie, we thought we were going to win every Academy Award possible, yeah, that, that it was it was such a beautiful uh, story. And and. Uh, uh, you know, we had Alan Pakula directing it, who had done Sophie's Choice and oh, All yeah. the President's Men and Paranoia Trilogy. Uh, yeah. You know, just a, 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 he was also the producer of To Kill a Mockingbird, so he he'd been in the business for forty years by the time that I, I'd worked with him. And uh, it, it, you know, one of the difficulties because it's a play, it's it's a, a film that that is based on a play, and plays, you know, are obviously theatrical experiences that, that you go to see a, a play and you expect a different kind of performance from the actors. Um, and it, it's a, it's an oral entertainment where uh, filmmaking is, it, of course it has a script and there's an oral oral aspect to it, but it's, it's the combination of visual storytelling and, 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 uh, 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 you know, the written word. Um, so sometimes it's difficult for audiences to go to see movies that have been made into plays. Occasionally it works and, and, and oftentimes, uh, it, 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 it doesn't, I've, I've done, I think three of them. Um, I know one of the first movies I did was with Robert Altman, uh, streamers, streamers yeah. based on a play by, yeah, by David Rabe, uh, with David Allen Greer and Michael Wright and Mitchell Lichtenstein, amongst others, and uh, George Zunza, Guy Boyd, uh, terrific. We we won the the prize at the Venice Film Festival for Best Actor because they didn't know how to they they didn't have a Best Ensemble award then, so they they just called it a Best Actor award and gave it to each of us. Um, uh, so yeah, so Orphans. It's it's one of my favorites. There's another one by Alan Rudolph called Equinox. Uh, I got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for that. And uh, Alan Rudolph was a, 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 I can call him an assistant director, but he was an apprentice of Robert Altman. And uh, his stories, his films, like, like uh, Choose Me, 
are they're 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 very Altman-esque. And mm-hmm. uh, trouble in mind is. Uh, I think equi- yeah, trouble in mind. Equinox is a is a beautiful story about uh, what what if you woke up one day and found out your entire life was a lie, that you you meet somebody who is your twin that you never knew existed and uh that that it was it was an incredible movie uh fred ward laura flynn boyle mm. uh, kevin j o'connor um who else was in that movie marissa tomei. Uh, but it, it's marissa tomei yes she's yeah. terrific in the movie um but yeah that that's another one that, that i i think is uh ripe for rediscovery equinox yeah, and both of those films are uh, are only available in old standard definition masters. It's really they really do deserve mm-hmm. uh, a proper Blu-ray, you know, HD restoration. Yeah, and I'm just as we're talking, I'm trying to find them, and I, I, yeah, there's nothing out there even overseas. So yeah, they and that that's I think to your point earlier that preservation is so important because uh, it does bring these experiences back, and a lot of times films don't work the first time. Or for whatever reason, don't get the right distribution. You know the business all too well, I'm sure. Um, and but a lot of times, like another generation will will pick up on it. Um, like for example, the Barbara Loden film. I don't know if you saw Wanda, but um, you know people now are engaging with a movie that was made in the early seventies. I'm sure this has happened uh, with a lot of your films as well. Well, we just had a, a uh, we just had a nine film retrospective. I at heard the about Alamo that. Draft House. In, in Winchester, Virginia. And uh, one of the movies was the one that I wrote and directed. Uh, and, and the other one that was the, a big discovery at the, at the festival was uh, Cutthroat Island. Uh, it was, it was a, a movie with a female protagonist playing a pirate that I was in with Gina Davis, directed by Rennie Harlan. And uh, it was a very expensive movie, like a hundred million dollars. And, uh, it uh, was a critical failure, critical in, in box office failure when it came out. And uh, after the screening, you know, people couldn't understand it. They they were like, I don't understand it. I, I'd heard about this movie. I heard it was terrible. Um, and they thought it was one of the, the best movies at the, <laughs> at the uh, of, of the nine movies it played. Really? You know. It is funny, yeah, and I, I've seen that. Wonderful. Uh, like, for example, uh, some friends of ours on our, our podcast network looked at uh, Elaine May's work, and Ishtar was one of those movies that was maligned and was a bomb and, and thought of as one of the worst films. Now, I haven't revisited that. I, just, I do remember that coming out. I remember Cutthroat Island coming out, and I remember the reception was uh, negative. But, um, but yeah, no, I think sometimes uh, with with the passage of time and and also i think away from the the buzz and the uh, you know the 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 whole critical zeitgeist uh it sometimes films can find a uh, find a room well i think i think the the best the, the best example of it is uh the best example is it's a wonderful life right i mean that oh, was sure. kind of a critical failure and yeah. rediscovered because uh, somebody decided to program it as a christmas movie yeah, and, and I, my, 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 I'm trying to remember my film history, but I, th- I think that one actually sunk, uh, uh, you know, that, that sunk that independent label that uh, that Capra started with Ford and uh, was it Weiler? I'm I'm hazy on them, but yeah, no, that was a huge bomb, um, yeah. and they tried, yeah, that actually hurt setback independent film, 
and now every Christmas it sells out or it plays on TCM. So it's a yeah, widely regarded. It's it's amazing. So, um, what about the film you directed, If Dog Rabbit? So I, I haven't seen it, and I ha- unfortunately I haven't seen Orphans Equinox. I just haven't had the opportunity. Um, do you? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, I, I w- yeah, if I could, I, I would. But do you think? Um, and of course, rights are complicated. Um, any chance do you own the rights to your your film or that film? I, I I'd love to own the rights to it. Um, and Adam and I are trying to get to the bottom of that. Um, where, where, where did it end up? Um, but if dog rabbit, as I mentioned, my, my father was a, a drive-in theater manager. So I wanted to make a movie that was kind of tipping my hat to my childhood. Uh, it's, it's a movie, a, a kind of what if story that, uh, that if doesn't, count you know you don't want to have any would have could have or should have in your life just done dids and and uh but i wanted to make a movie that that would play at my drive-in uh my dad's drive-in and with some subversive uh elements inside of it that would just like like uh like fortune cookie fortunes you know that that on the outside it's a sweet a sweet cookie but inside there's these little nuggets and uh, that, that film also played at the, uh, Alamo draft house in Winchester and, uh, to, uh, an enormous, uh, reception. I nice. mean, the, the audience truly, yeah, they, they really loved the movie. And that was the first time that it, I ever had a, a, a theatrical presentation with an audience. So, wow. um, we were, we were yeah, very fortunate that very, they had a 35 millimeter projector because we played Matthew's right. uh, person. <laughs> Print, you know, uh, a lot of these, even Alamos, don't all have 35 capabilities anymore. A lot of them only yeah. have DCP. digital. So. Yeah, everything's yeah. DCP yep. nowadays. Uh, yeah, but you know, I I I I love Stanley. You know, Stanley Kubrick's movies, his all of his movies, and it's kind of like The Killing, that mm-hmm. kind of noir. Okay. Um, no, Neo noir. You know, it has Lisa Mar- Lisa Marie, who was in uh, Mars Attacks. Uh, who's the femme fatale in the movie. And again, my friend Kevin J. O'Connor's in that. And uh, he plays my brother. He's terrific. He's he's as good as Jack Nicholson ever was. And, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's kind of five easy pieces, Jack Nicholson era. That's great, yeah. And uh, Bruce Dern and John Hurt is fantastic in the film. Uh, uh, David Keith, it's, it's 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 a really tight cast. What did uh, Matthew? What did Bruce Stern uh, had an interesting take on your directing. I remember you told me once. He talked about. Uh, well, first of all, he said, "I don't know what he's on." <laughs> <laughs> but but he said I. But he said he hadn't worked with a director like me since Ely Kazan. Wow, Ilya Kazan. Wow. That's high praise. Yeah. Uh, so that was like a. <laughs> <laughs> like ridiculously high. That yeah, that's and, and this guy's responsible <laughs> for some of the best movies ever made of his generation. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I well, maybe I, I don't know what you'll your exploits will or what your research will find, but uh, I don't know if nowadays. I, I think that's the equalizers. You have an audience. You have Kickstarter. Uh, you know, maybe maybe if you can get the rights, find a way to get a scan and get get a print out there. And you know, people like Criterion Indicator. 
Shout. Uh, there's all sorts of outlets. I, I think that's one thing good about uh, distribution now. That's a positive about the downside of theaters is there's uh, more ways to get films out. Uh, so if you'll indulge me, um, so I, I mentioned that we have a personal connection, and I, I haven't shared this with listeners either, but my um, my father actually is uh, is a connection with uh, the And the Band Played On, which I, I believe also played that um, at uh, Draft House, didn't it? So this is actually kind of interesting. My father worked for uh, CDC, and uh, my father actually ran the AIDS program for a very, very long time. Actually, he ran the global AIDS program. He retired, I think, in 2005. And uh, so we lived in San Francisco, uh, and then we later moved to Atlanta. And uh, we, uh, my dad had these coworkers um, by the names of uh, Don Francis, uh, Jim Curran, uh, a lot of other people... Uh, that you might have heard of, um, and people that don't haven't seen the film oh, probably, yeah. probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, so Don was a, a close personal friend of my my father's. Uh, they published papers together, or at least one paper. I I don't want to my my memory's hazy. And then when when my father moved, uh, Don actually that's when Don took his office in, in San Francisco. So Don, uh, the the gentleman wow. you portrayed actually worked uh, in the office that my my father worked out of. And so they, of course, Don, is, I think you know, went to Genentech, but, um, but yeah, so, so I, 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 what's weird is I was a kid. I, I was at that, I, I was born in 72, so, um, so you can kind of, you know, I, I grew up with the AIDS epidemic. So I, I didn't uh, really understand at that age. I, I, I understood that it was a dreadful disease. It was killing, I mean, nobody I knew, I, I didn't lose anybody at that time, but, you know, I would hear from my father, um, but I, I, I couldn't really grasp it. And then uh, your movie came out. Uh, I I believe it was early nineties, ninety two, ninety three, and uh, yeah. and and he's yeah. and so he said it was spot on. He said and, and he said so all his colleagues at CDC at, at that time we were in Atlanta loved it and just thought it was and, and of course with with docu dramas I guess is what it could uh, not I don't know what kind of genre but sometimes they get things right wrong. Um, but I think the consensus was that you guys nailed the spirit of uh, of, of of what the way things happened, and uh, and so he he always told me to see that movie. The thing is, I never had HBO, so I didn't actually get a chance to see the movie until recently, like the last couple weeks, uh, knowing that we were going to ha- have a discussion. Uh, and part of it was also just you know you, this is the thing your dad talks about all the time, so you know, you know you'll get to it. So I just watched this, and I saw you as uh, you know just the guy that I knew that worked with Dad, and uh, and I was like, holy shit, this is my childhood, because um, everything resonated. So uh, so it was actually kind of uh, and you talk about those moments that break through. I, I I kind of experienced the gravity of everything that was going on. So anyway, that's that's a long digression, but um, but I, I hope that role means something to you, uh, just uh, with you know, just in context. So. I don't know how you react to that. Yeah, it's well, it's high praise. Number one, it's wonderful that you, you, your father worked with Don Francis and that whole group of people from the CDC at such an important time in history, because it was kind of the the movie and that what and their research that those those doctors and scientists were doing was uh, kind of like a, a murder investigation. That there was a, uh, a serial killer that was out there that nobody could identify. And uh, and they had to to figure out 
what it was. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they were looking at cat litter. They were looking at, you know, dog food. They were, you know, they, they were looking everywhere trying to figure out because people were dying from different, you know, the, the different things that the, that the disease, how it, how it would attack their immune system. Um, and, and, uh, so it, it's a very important film because there were people who thought that, uh, HIV AIDS had a sexual preference and it was, it was wonderful to receive letters from people all over the country, outside the country who said, thank you for helping me to understand this, uh, and, and to understand that, that, uh, you know, that, that, that diseases don't have a sexual preference and, and, um, and, and it opened their hearts to the people that were, that were infected and the people uh, whose lives were being forever altered uh, by the disease. Uh, so it, it, it was a very important film. And, and that's why you see so many amazing actors in the film who joined up. And oh, my yeah. agent at the time, he's passed, he's passed away now, Ed Lamato. Uh, you know, he was nervous about me participating in the film. He was a gay man hmm. uh, because he said, you know, Hollywood is not ready for this. You know, you know, the business having anything to do with, you know, movies or, or plays or films, uh, excuse me, uh, television shows dealing with the AIDS crisis or, or anything homosexual uh, could be potentially damaging to an, an actor's career. And uh, so he and those producers from HBO knew that the best way to make this uh, a great success was to get everybody from the industry to participate. And of course, everybody in the industry, everybody in the arts was being affected by AIDS and HIV. Absolutely. And from Broadway to, yeah, to television, to movies, to the art world, to fashion, uh, uh, dancers. And, and so everybody wanted to, to do what they could to help uh, get this film made. Yeah, and and that actually speaks uh, the risk that you took taking the role, and I, I, you know, it's it's in 2019, it's hard to fathom that uh, you know in 1993 that would be a risk, but but it kind of is a, a part of the character you played as well. I think he was a risk taker, and uh, and 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 he was a, a hero, and yeah, and my father as well. He and my father saved millions of lives, and um, so yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's my my personal story. So um, so my my uh, I'm I'm biased, but I would. Uh, if a, a movie was right for rediscovery or, you know, criterion worthy, I, I think my choice of, of your uh, library would be this one. So, but I'm biased. Well, and they, and they recently yeah, did you. a, uh, they did a great new, um, for the Alamo, uh, screening. They actually provided a, a brand new HD, um, DCP of the film, which they, HBO never does. So it was, uh, seen really for the first time in, in, a truly beautiful you know restoration which is also available on vod and and hbo mm-hmm. now go and as well so it's it's a great film to discover however you can watch it yeah but, it's on um, prime too uh, amazon yeah, prime prime yeah. and itunes and and it's also one of the rare films that if you go to rotten tomatoes the aggregator site it's a hundred percent with all with critics uh, wow. it's that's that's something that doesn't happen very often uh so it's very highly regarded if listeners haven't seen it it's pretty 
I, like I said, if you have HBO Go or HBO Now, you can watch it for free um, or rent it from any of those other platforms. And, and it really is, even though it's a, a difficult subject, it, as, as Matthew pointed out, it, it is a, a mystery and, uh, and uh, them unraveling uh, and discovering uh, the, what it was and how to, how to treat it. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that's a special one. Um, and also, uh, Matthew, you mentioned it being a TV show, and I think it was kind of a breakthrough. Now, of course, my memory is, is different, but I, I think it kind of, you know, we talk about modern TV and the, the difference between TV versus film. I, I think it's very cinematic for the time, and I think it really put HBO Films on the map. Yeah, it was directed by Roger Spottiswood, uh, yeah. who's a filmmaker and uh, was former editor and uh, it was the first HBO produced film. Was it? Oh, I, I had no idea. It was the the first time. Usually, they just got content secondhand. Uh, they hadn't they hadn't made their own own films yet, and that was that was the first one. And I, I remember back then there was the stigma. You know, a TV film was somewhat inferior than a a, a, cinema, a theatrical film, and I, I think this. So that, yeah, it's watershed film as far as breaking through that uh, that. Um, that barrier, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, great film. So yeah, thank you. I, thank, I know it's like 20, goodness, years, that's all, 20 years ago for you. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, thank goodness that's all changed. And we have, I believe the European countries in particular, great Britain for destroying that barrier between uh, film and television. Um, because in England, you know, acting is really a profession and it's, it's something that one does. So, if they're acting on a, a play in the West End and then they do a television show and then they make a feature film, uh, they're still just a journeyman actor. Um, I think that, you know, everybody from Ian McKellen to uh, um, Roger Craig, or, uh, what's his mm-hmm. name? Daniel Craig, excuse me. Da- Daniel uh, Craig, would, yeah. would, Who might be one of the biggest movie stars because of the James Bond series. But he's an actor. He's a journeyman actor. And um, yeah, we we've been Daniel Craig fans for uh, my wife especially. We've been Daniel Craig fans for, since long before Bond. Uh, Love is the Devil. Uh, I, he really is a, a tremendous actor, and I think that yeah, they have quite a craft there. I didn't mean to cut you off, Matthew. No, that's okay. But but it's I I, I thank them for obliterating the line between uh, working in television and film and, and now streaming shows uh, that it, it, what you want to do is, is work on the best projects with the best people. And, and you hope for the best, you hope that the, the, the projects turn out, turn out good and that they have, have legs, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense that they live long after their initial release um, I, I fortunately have been really lucky to have some films with legs like, and the band played on like, uh, full metal jacket or birdie or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Pacific Heights or vision quest. You know, it's, it's wonderful when, when, a when a film that you made 25 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, 35 years ago, <laughs> still part of the conversation. You know the people are still discussing it and and enjoying it. That's that's an amazing thing. Yeah, people are still discovering Memphis Bell and loving it. Thirty years later, now this year, uh, 2020, 30th anniversary. So that that movie, people love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a lot of people wanted to um, when when 
we have this little little podcast network, and when people heard they um, they wanted to uh, me to mention their favorite Ma- Matthew Modine film and ask you about it, but I'm, you don't have five hours. But it is interesting what uh, what you know what people cling to, and and that's part of people's childhood. Vision Quest, as you mentioned, I I don't remember the, the film too well, but I remember the the buzz about it. So, and well, speaking of time and films with legs, if you don't mind. If we can indulge you and uh, and talk about a couple of those, um, uh, of course, speaking of Criterion, well, Bamboozled by Spike Lee, you have an interesting role in this, but it's not out on the Criterion yet. But there's there's a lot of rumors that it might come out. Uh, hopefully, early 2020 is what I'm hoping. Uh, it was uh, there was a clue last year. They have they do a, a New Year's clue, and uh, there was a, a clue that strongly um, hinted that uh, this is coming. So. So I I don't know if it, I actually haven't seen the film, but I know of your your particular part, which is pretty interesting. Um, is it a spoiler to actually speak about that, or is that fair game? Um, I think we could talk about it. I, I uh, you know I know Spike Lee from uh, he he and I are both Nick New York Knickerbocker fans, Nick fans, and we'd see each other at the games, and I've never worked with him, and I believe that somebody else was supposed to play the part that I ended up playing uh, maybe Alec Baldwin and they got, you know, something got in the way and they, they couldn't show up. And so Spike called me and said, you know, would I do him a favor? Would I come, come down to the garden and, and, and do this thing? I said, well, what is it? He goes, just come down. And it wasn't really scripted at all. It was all uh, improvised. And um, I probably feels that way. I've never seen the film. Um, really? <laughs> okay, we're in the uh, same boat. Yeah, the 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 movie kind of came and went rather quickly, but um, those people that I've heard talk about it, you know, we we were talking before in this podcast about um, films that were released before they were, you know, people were, were ready for them. Um, I think that Bamboozle, it, it, it could be one of those films that was way, way ahead of its time, you know, and that will be socially relevant today. Uh, especially with the the way that the industry has changed and African-Americans are much more a part of the the industry today um, that uh, uh, get out, for instance, the the horror films get out. Um, I I think that there are aspects, while that's a horror film and Bamboozled is a a, a comedy, an ironic comedy, um, a dark comedy, um, I think that there are aspects that the, that those two films share. Yeah, I think Spike Lee is one of those filmmakers that he had a lot of films that were people weren't ready for. Even his most famous film, I think, even though it was a critical and commercial success, do the right thing. I think people, you know, it still plays just as relevant today as it did back in the late eighties. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen Bamboozled either, but I, I yeah, great example. Uh, it's worth revisiting, uh, from what I understand, and. Uh, and and also he he likes to um, he likes to use dark comedy sometimes to uh, to pay attention or to draw attention to social issues. Uh, so Chirac was a I don't know if you saw that a few years ago. Um, that was an example of yeah. him being yeah yeah creative, clever, and uh, you know it, sometimes not accessible. But uh, but yeah, he's definitely definitely has a artistic vision. Um, and then so Robert Altman, you mentioned streamers, and of course you're in shortcuts now. 
that's just a almost math and that's a massive cast I mean, you're you're in it it's one of my favorite films actually it's one of the one of my gateway drug films actually what, what made me a film buff i actually caught it on on one night and i couldn't take my eyes away and i was like wow um and of course there were there were you and you and julianne moore having and, and then fred ward and um uh i forget the cl- clown uh, ann archer ann archer uh, uh, fantastic yeah. film I mean, do you have have any and that's uh, the as of now. Assume, you know, we'll see if uh, Bamboozled comes out. But as of now, I believe that's the only Criterion Collection title you have in print. Um, so, do you have any any thoughts about Altman or or that film? <clears throat> well, I, I mean, I'm forever grateful to to Robert Altman because he put me in streamers uh, mm. that that launched my career. That helped me to get Vision Quest. In uh, Vision Quest, you know, helped me to get Mrs. Sofa, and Mrs. Sofa helped me to get Birdie and uh, Birdie helped me to get Full Metal Jacket, so um, you know it all. It all uh, starts with somebody pulling the trigger and saying, "I'm going to hire this kid," and and Bob was the guy. And hmm. of all the directors that could give you like one of your first jobs, for it to be Robert Altman, um, it was it was spectacular. You know, uh, there's a reason that actors loved him. Is that that. I would compare Bob to being like a, a conductor of an orchestra. Mm. Um, that that an or- the conductor doesn't tell you how to play the violin or the cello or or how to play the big bass drum. Uh, that's your responsibility as an artist. That you do all of that work, all that preparation work. You learn the notes. You learn how to interpret it. And and that's why the director hired you to, to do that, to do that interpretation for you to do your own homework. And then you show up to play. And what the conductor says is uh, now a little bit softer, a little bit, a little bit louder, you know, raising his hands up in the air, a little, you know, pushing his hands down a little bit softer. And uh, that's how Robert Altman directed films. And, and it's why actors enjoyed so much working with him because they, they knew that he, that he had your back and that you could jump off a cliff and he'd be there to catch you. And so you, you took great chances when you were working with Robert Altman and, um, and, and like those musicians, you, you did your homework and you showed up prepared and ready to do the best work that you were capable of doing yeah an actress director i guess is um yeah Yeah, i'm a big fan of all uh, yeah altman uh, shortcuts was my gateway and of course then the player uh, as well um which my my father uh, the aforementioned father he turned me on to the player uh yeah and of course then altman's filmography i think i've seen i I haven't seen streamers yet again because that's the uh, distribution it's not available but I've loved every, you know, probably 20, 30 other films I've seen of his. Um, really startling. It was a breakout performance for Moore. And I think even though you were pretty well established at the time, uh, I, I mean, you were fantastic in the film. So Thank you. Well, I, I, you know, what the, how that scene comes up today is I go to teach acting classes. And almost every acting class where I'm doing scene study work with, with, with young actors, uh, somebody will do that scene. You know, somebody would be playing me and somebody would be playing Julianne Moore. And and uh, <laughs> because there's so much, especially the actress, uh, but there's, there's so much there to play. 
and uh, it's an emotional scene and people young actors you know you you like to do that kind of work because it feels like you're really working and so it's it's wonderful you know mm -hmm. the, again you know it's it's one of those those films that you've participated in that continues to be part of the conversation and relevant today as it, as it was when the film was released so it, it's uh it's it's a great compliment you know to have yeah, young people yeah. uh you know doing their version uh, their interpretation of work that you you worked on so many years ago um but julie julianne you know she 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 was extraordinary and uh uh it was scripted that i was chasing her around the house you know not hmm. chasing her but you know following her around and and demanding that she tell me what happened that night that she went out with the guys when they went out to go buy some booze hmm. and um uh i and bob how bob directed bob would say okay modine what do you want to do how are you going to do it and i said you know, Bob, I, I don't think this is the first time they've had this conversation. I think they've had this conversation half a dozen times. But tonight is a night that I want an answer from my wife. So I think I'm going to I'm going to make a cocktail. I'm going to sit down in my chair and I'm going to ask her, uh, you know, what tell me what happened that night. And I'm, I'm not going to chase her physically around the room. I'm going to chase her around the room with mm -hmm. my words and 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 demand that I get an explanation. And, uh, he said, Oh, that's interesting. And he said, is, is that work for you, Julianne? And she said, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. And, uh, and, and, and there you have it. And, and then we filmed, uh, we, we started with, uh, Julianne's coverage and she was amazing. And then she came over and she said, you know, I don't mind uh, taking my dress off and walking around, you know, as I had. Uh, <laughs> she was, was going to do it all all over again, you know, walking around the room <laughs> naked. And I said, no, no, it's it's okay. I, I saw I saw enough, and um, you know, it's not it's not necessary for you to to do that for me. You're a pro, and, yeah, and uh, and and. You know, but but it was I, I I so am grateful to Julianne, uh, Julianne Moore for those people that are not sure who I'm talking about, um, for for offering to walk around for my coverage, uh, you know, with in the buff. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's very generous, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I, I I can't imagine. I, I don't know if if that would have brought out anything else in the performance. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, you. I wouldn't say you were subdued. You certainly weren't, but, um, but I mean, physically you restrained yourself, but, um, but yeah, emotionally and, and vocally, uh, you hit the right, it was a very explosive scene. I can see why they teach it in acting classes. Um, or, did you say you teach it in your own acting class? Yeah. When I, I don't, I don't say, Hey, do somebody do this scene from <laughs> right. the movie that I was in. That would yeah. be weird. That would be but, weird. <laughs> you know, the actors, they, they bring scenes in that they want to perform and, and uh, that, that oftentimes is one of the scenes they bring in. I think sometimes they don't, they don't associate, they don't think, Oh, I'm going to do the scene. And my teacher did this. Mm -hmm. uh, they, I, I think that some of them don't mm -hmm. even know it's me. Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> They're not just trying to curry favor, so. <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to get an no, A. Uh... 
Yeah, they, yeah. they might might do birdie for the A or. Uh, <laughs> um, so so and then birdie, uh, you mentioned the that through line between your career and I, I guess the escalation. Uh, I had seen Birdie when I was a kid. Uh, my my father exposed me to some some uh, films that were challenging, uh, and that that was one. You know, back in the day, you, I'm sure you remember uh, Ebert, Ebert and Siskel. You know, that, I, I believe if I remember correctly, they recommended this, and so we we checked it out. And I remember, you know, not quite getting it. I guess I would have been probably 15 at the time. Uh, so I, I bought the indicator version. That and, and again, this is where physical media is. Um, is amazing. And this is really a wonderful edition. I don't believe this has come out in any physical format, um, at least not Blu-ray. Has it? It did. It, yes. Um, Sony, who owns Columbia Pictures, now did release a bare-bones Blu-ray back in July, along with Pacific Heights, but there were no special features. There's nothing on it. Um, and and, I, and uh, I'm not even sure where they sourced the uh the the image from but the indicator release that Matthew and I helped with is uh, from a brand new uh, 2K restoration that that Alan Parker um, uh, supervised so it's it's this is the this is the edition to buy if you're gonna go and watch Birdie again definitely it's a region free release so you can get it and uh, play it any in any country which is great it's a great and, release uh, yeah yeah it has a great 48 page booklet with photographs and uh, some of them are actually Matthews from his personal uh, collection and uh, some great some great reading material on top of the film. Yeah, I, I watched the interview last night, uh, your, your interview that you did for the, the disc and, and I, I love that you are such a big fan of Alan Parker uh, I, 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 and you already mentioned, uh, well no I'm sorry you mentioned Midnight Cowboy, I was thinking Midnight Express but uh, yeah uh, w- phenomenal filmmaker and uh, and yeah, I, I, I got to see, uh, well Literally another side of you, <laughs> the backside of you in uh, in in Birdie, but um, but yeah, I know that was so long ago for you. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think in that interview, I'm also also missing my front tooth. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned you had a skateboard accident, uh, which is super cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm younger than you, and uh, I'm not doing anything as cool as skateboarding. So I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope you hope we get that worked on. <laughs> um, for what it's worth, I couldn't. I didn't notice the tooth in, until you pointed it out. So, um, um, yeah, they did, did a really good job of lighting and and the angle. Everything they did a really good job, Matthew, uh, shooting that interview. So it's it's the it's pretty covered up. <laughs> yeah. I just felt I felt like some somebody's probably gonna be wondering why I'm doing why I'm missing my front tooth. So I thought better explain it. Yeah, yeah, just in case. Um, but yeah, no, I quite a movie and uh and i would forgotten how and of course that was you and nick cage and I, I had no idea that you went out for the nick cage part and of course you know back then nick cage wasn't the nick cage we know now just like julianne moore wasn't established like she is now but you know probably if, if they were to do it over again they probably would have given your part to nick cage uh just because you know he's over the top but i i think you were perfect um and, and nick, nick cage was as well um uh, and I, I, you deserve a breakthrough for that. So um, I, I know it's been a long time, but uh, I, do you have any fond memories of, uh, of well, fond memories? It doesn't seem like an inter- easy play to uh, a part to play um, physically, especially. Birdie, Birdie. Well, uh, I have nothing but fond fond memories of Birdie. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, it was. 
it is glossed over its time, but it was a very difficult movie to make. But um, you know, and Alan Parker was an absolute pain in my ass uh, <laughs> while we were making making the film. But it was only because he wanted uh, a, a, a great performance, and so he pushed really hard. Huh. And um, you know, but uh, I I I will. I don't. I'll put up with anybody that's a pain in the ass so long as they're they're good at what they're doing, because it's very difficult to make a, a movie. You know, after all this all this time, um, working, you know, from Christopher Nolan to Stanley Kubrick to Alan mm-hmm. Parker to Robert Altman, um, that we're all given the same equipment. You know, the camera and lenses and sound equipment and crews, and some people are able to do something magical with those that equipment. And, and, and the crew uh, and some people make garbage, you know, the, 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 not garbage, just, just less interesting things. Let's, let's say that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure you've worked with some fam- uh, fan- uh, famous and um, brilliant directors. And we mentioned, you just mentioned a, a whole bunch of them. So um, yeah, you have good, good choices. In films. So yeah, but, but it's, it's a very difficult job. And Alan Parker is uh, an extraordinary, I mean, look at that rep repertoire of movies he's made mm-hmm. for you know, midnight express and Bugsy Malone and fame, uh, birdie, uh, 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 Pink Floyd, the wall, Evita. I mean, he, he, he's extraordinary. And, um, certainly one of the most underappreciated filmmakers of his generation. And uh, so my point is, is that making a movie is difficult. And so if somebody's going to push you really hard to do good work, then uh, you put up with it, you know, mm. and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Mississippi burning too. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. It, it, yeah. You can, I don't think we can ever really see the experience, the acting experience when we see it uh, on film, but, uh, but, you def- definitely looked like you were immersed in the role. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're did. And that played at can, right? Uh, and it did, didn't that do pretty well at can. I can't remember. Yeah. It won the grand prize, the grand prix. Yeah. So yeah, that, that had to be huge. Um, and, uh, so there's this other, other guy, Stanley Kubrick, um, who I think people know that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned the through line streamers, Birdie, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, I'm sure there's a well, Vision Quest, uh, and, but you said Birdie led to Full Metal Jacket. Is that which is interesting because they're both war films. Although Birdie is more, well, they're both introspective, getting into the character. But I'd say Birdie a little more so, just because the character is, um, you know, as you know, out of it. But um, but so was that why you were cast? Do you think? Um, I'm not sure which movie it was, if it was Vision Quest or, or uh, Birdie. Um, you know, Kubrick said that he, he, he was it Jimmy Stewart and Gary Cooper had a baby. It would be Matthew Modine or Henry Fonda. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'll take any one of them. You know, if Henry yeah, Fonda yeah. can be my uncle and, and Gary Cooper and, and Jimmy Stewart can have a baby, if that's possible, yeah. I, I don't mind being it. And Eli Kazan um, is there, your, uh, there, your views. <laughs> Yeah, three three direct three actors that I really admire, um, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 Cary Grant can be my crazy uncle. <laughs> um, uh, so, but there, there was something that that Stanley had seen that that led him to to consider me that in in that sense, 
and uh, as one of as one of those uh, babies from one of those, one of those actors. And but you know, I, I met Val Kilmer at a restaurant in Los Angeles, uh, and he he was the person who who said that I was doing Stanley Kubrick's film. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, you had to audition for the film, and I didn't. You know, it was it was very difficult at that time, like '82 or '3, uh, because you had to get a VHS camera or go to some place and rent one, or or go to somebody who had one and put yourself on tape and send the VHS tape to London, uh, you know, at your own expense. And that just sounded like way too much work to me. <laughs> And I, I, I didn't, I didn't do it. But now Val Kilmer was saying that that he'd heard that I was cast in Kubrick's film. So I called my manager, and uh, he didn't know anything about it. And I said, Well, I know he makes his movies with Warner Brothers, so maybe we can get Warner Brothers to to send him. You know, I'll call Harold Becker, the director of Vision Quest, and get him to send Kubrick Vision Quest. And then Alan Parker was editing Birdie in in London at the time. And I, I said, I'll call Alan, see if he can send over a couple of scenes to Kubrick. And, uh, I, then, you know, months later, I got a script at my, my apartment in New York through the mail slot uh, with the letters saying, hello, my, my name's Stanley Kubrick. I'm a film director. And uh, I wonder if you'd be interested in... in uh, reading my script and considering considering it and you know i mean which was a great testament to stanley's humility that, mm -hmm. that he, yeah. he felt it necessary to introduce himself as a film director and matthew that he somehow got your home address without your knowledge <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah yeah he knew Absolutely. people uh, yeah but i think it tells you a lot about him it tells you a lot about his character Mm -hmm. When I first started reading it, I, because of Birdie, I thought, "Oh, maybe he wants me to play Private Pile." And oh. and uh, oh, right. and then as I as I continued as I continued reading it, I, I hoped that it was the role of Private Joker, and and because uh, hmm. he didn't indicate that in the in the letter. And then it, with the follow up, the subsequent conversations, I discovered that it was what it was for the role of Joker and. Because uh, it, it it didn't even look like a screenplay. It looked like an out, outline for a book. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, from what I understand about Kubrick, you would know far more than I do. But uh, meticulous, uh, very, very uh, 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 specific about what he wanted. Um, and yeah, I, I, even though you're great as Private Joker, uh, of course, D'Onofrio, fantastic as Pyle. Uh, it's, it almost seems like you're the perfect fit for each character. You're grounded. You know, as, you know, as opposed to contrasted with Birdie, who is literally flying high. Um, there was, I mean, I love all three of those movies: Vision Quest, Birdie, and mm -hmm. and Full Metal Jacket. Um, Full Metal Jacket's a very disturbing movie. Uh, Vision Quest is is so filled with hope and positivity, and uh, uh, Birdie is just. Uh, such a fragile movie and mm -hmm. and uh, the character is so interesting and and i think it's it's one of my favorite nicholas cage performances it's great uh, yeah. um uh yeah it, it so they're they're all very different movies but um 
but I, I, I think if, if, if my career would have ended after full metal jacket, like if I, I couldn't work anymore or, you know, got out of it, I, I, I would say that from that point, uh, I, I did a good job. I, I would be, I would have, uh, my, my, my fate would have been, uh, in good hands. Hmm. Yeah, no, quite, quite a, a legacy. And, and, but of course, as we, we already talked about and the band played on your bamboozled cameo and short shortcuts. And, and of course you, you made tons of movies since then and still, still working. What, what are you doing right now? If, if I'm, you don't mind me asking. Um, but yeah, I, I went to Mississippi and made a movie called uh, Breaking News in Yuba County uh, that's got a terrific cast. Uh, uh, Alice Janney is my wife. Um, uh, the, the Martini shot I filmed in Ireland where I'm a film director who might be God and he's dying and his psychiatrist suggests that he go make a new movie but that might cheer him up. <laughs> and uh yeah and so there's those, two, those, two those, films those, that are uh, are out well um miss virginia is just just came out um you know on vod platforms so that's available now which yeah. stars uzo aduba from orange is the new black she plays crazy eyes oh cool she's yeah terrific she's great. in the movie she's great yeah um and we we got off full metal jacket but i i, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Full Metal Jacket Diary. No, you guys kickstarted this a few years ago, and uh, you made an app and an, uh, an audiobook, and of course you did a book. Um, is this still an active project, or how, how does this work? Well, the good 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 thing about something like that is it's a perennial. You can always talk about it. It's always relevant. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like something that comes out and then the you know it has a short shelf life. It's something that continues to to find its audience. Um, so I had published my book, Full Metal Jacket Diary, and uh, met Adam, and he was doing these talks. He used to work at Apple Computers, and uh, he invited me to come in to do w- one of these talks called Made on a Mac. And wh- why don't you talk about it, Adam? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Story. Sure, yeah. I mean, we we produced the series at the time uh, before the iPhone and all of that. It, the Mac was the crown jewel at Apple. Everyone, that's all, that's what people thought of when they thought of Apple computer was the Mac and sort of the creative professionals that tended to use uh, Macintosh computers back then. And uh, yeah, there, there was a series called made on a Mac where anybody that was using an, an artist, a filmmaker, musician, photographer, anybody using uh, Apple software and hardware to kind of help create their art could come in and do a, a, a discussion, a presentation or a workshop sort of discussing how the technology played a role in creating uh, their art. And Matthew did just that with his hardcover edition of uh, Full Metal Jacket Diary. He gave a talk and uh, presented a photographic slideshow. This is at the Apple Store in Soho in New York City, which had a has a big theater space on the second floor, big screen, and uh, it was a huge, huge hit. It was uh, it it was a standing room room only crowd, and it was so popular that this 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 event that we ended up sort of taking the show on the road. And uh, Matthew did the same presentation at the uh, Regent Street store in London. 
and at the North Michigan Avenue store in Chicago. And I think there might have been one or two other locations as well. Uh, but those were all big flagship store locations. And, uh, and Matthew and I became really uh, close friends. And uh, a few years later, after uh, and that book, of course, was a limited edition, only 20,000 copies. They were all laser etched with a serial number on the back. And that was it. That was a kind of a one and done. You know, this was this was it. They had a metal cover. So as if you own one, it's kind of really a, a work of art in itself. And it's something that uh, you should hold on to. <laughs> and uh, the uh, but, you know, Matthew always said that he didn't want to do a, a, you know, a soft cover edition, which is very typical in the publishing industry. But uh, he wanted them to be something that people sort of were. Uh, sought that sought after and they would hold on to and pass down and so uh, a few years later when the iPad was announced uh, I kind of pitched to Matthew the idea of turning the book into a sort of an interactive app and uh, for the iPad which is something that we kind of coined uh, an appumentary where it would have uh, even more images that he took on the set of Full Metal Jacket and uh, take the diary that he that he he wrote on during the making of the film and record him reading his diary so you could hear it and him hear him performing it, uh, add sound effects and music, really immer immersive experience and and yeah so we created this this appumentary for the iPad and uh, it's something appumentary. that yeah it's something we that. Kickstarter to to help to help finance partially but you know I think as many people have discovered Kickstarter it's not really just about raising funds it's often about a gauging interest in yeah. a project they're not something whether there is an audience for a project and also raising awareness for it. it's really more about mm -hmm. marketing at this point for a lot of these uh, projects that you'll you'll see it's the it's that it, it's such a great platform for people to discover something that you're you're working on and to to get them excited about it so so that's something we did and uh, a few years later after that we did an audiobook version for people that just wanted to listen to the diary during you know a long uh, drive on a trip or during their commute to work. And uh, yeah, so it's, it keeps finding a new, as Matthew said, sort of a new audience in these different iterations. And, uh, you know, we're, we're even discussing other possible ways that we could get this, this story of Matthews out to even more people, because it's just such a great, um, uh, it's just such a great experience that it's not a remembrance it's not a look back. It really, it is Matthew's diary that he kept while making the film. And that's yeah, such a that's unique cool. perspective. You know, it's not, you know, all good and bad. It's all in there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Matthew can tell, uh, you can get more into that part of it. You know, the actual experience of making the movie, which I think is, you know, about two, it was about two years of his life. Wow. Um, and Matthew, you, what was it like you, when you moved there, um, when you moved to London to begin filming, you found out what within a month that your wife was pregnant, right, with Bowman, and then they told you he, you would get home before he was born, right? Is that what it was? Something like it that. Was, it was kind of like like Gilligan's Island, you know. Yeah. A, you know, it was a, a three months or, or four months that you were contracted for, and then you, you know I, I, everybody knows the song Gilligan's Island, right? Oh, yeah. say at least our generation the ship set sail on the shore of this uncharted <laughs> desert you know uh the three hour tour you know so it was three or four months that we were supposed to be be making the movie and before we really like 
I went from the Cannes Film Festival where Bertie won the prize, the Grand mm-hmm. Prize, the Grand Prix Award, and told Kubrick, I have to come to London and start getting ready. And he said, but we don't start for two months. And I said, well, you know, I don't need to talk to you about about preparation. You're, you're, you're the king of preparation. I got to get <laughs> over there and start reading books and, and getting in shape. You know, I'm going to be a U.S. Marine and I, I got to get over there. And the truth of it was, and this is in the diary, was that I was broke. I, I, I had no money. Huh. I, even after all, all these films that I'd done, I, had, I didn't have any money. It wasn't because of some extravagant lifestyle. It's just we just didn't get paid that well. Sure. Yeah. And I just bought, bought, I just bought a place downtown. So I just needed to get to London to start collecting per diem so that I'd have money to be able to buy groceries. And my wife, of course, was with me. And so we got to London early and, and, uh, and, and then we didn't start. We, we, we didn't start for two months. And then when we did start, it was going really slow. So by the end of the, the contracted period of time that I had originally been contracted to go work on the film, uh, we hadn't really accomplished uh, a week's worth of work. And so we had to renew the contract. And I think we renewed the contract a couple, couple more times uh, over the course of the, of the shooting. Because uh, Carrie and I ended up being in England for almost almost two years. Wow! As, as Adam was pointing out, that my my son uh, was born in London, uh, and, and he turned have one. Celebrated. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. His first, his first, first birthday. First birthday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On one film. Right. That's amazing. I had would never have guessed. I mean, obviously, I, I not obviously, but we you know. Kubrick's reputation as a filmmaker and uh, and getting what he wants is is notorious now. And in fact, one of our uh, the people on our network, one of one of them, or two of them, did a a series on Kubrick, which of course talked about Full Metal Jacket. Now they're doing uh, Kislowski, but um, but yeah, no, the diary is on. Um, it's still on the App Store. Still, still, uh, it's a dollar ninety nine. I think. So, yep. uh, and yeah. you can actually get a it is only available for the iPad. It was sort of a, a partnership that we had with Apple where it was designed mm-hmm. exclusively for the, the iPad retina display using some features uh, at the time that were at that point um, in like 2012. It was very much a, sort of an uh, exclusive to the iPad. Since then, a lot of other platforms have uh a lot of other uh, devices have obviously become available, but we just haven't uh, been able to port it over to those. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's one ninety nine. But there's also a free version of you can get a the first chapter, the first mm-hmm. full chapter of the diary. It's like a separate app that's a free download. So if you have any hesitation about spending one dollar ninety nine, you can download that first chapter and fully it's every it's fully immersive. Everything is there for that first chapter, just like the rest of the book. But you can just sort of test it out, take it for a test drive. If you like it, then you can, you know, go ahead and and pay the one ninety nine. And the and the good <laughs> thing <is> that <laughs> the good thing is that you can also get the audiobook on iTunes uh, as well as Amazon and, and but that's nine ninety nine. That's just the audio. So it's the same audio pretty much that's in the in the app. So you get a lot more for your money yeah. <laughs> in the app if yeah. you uh, so choose. And uh, and as I mentioned, there's far more images in the app than are in the book. Obviously, books are limiting and 
you know, mm-hmm. how many pages you can have and how many photographs you can include. So the app was uh, sort of unlimited in the sense that we could we could go in and scan the negatives, which we did of all of Matthew's photographs that he took on the set using oh a, a Rolleiflex film camera. Uh, it's a medium format, beautiful square black and white photographs and get all the detail that, you know, was in those those images. And, uh, you know, it's it just it, they're beautiful photographs. Matthew is has a real artist's eye. Uh, and, uh, and that's an interesting story in its own right, Matthew. I mean, the, the whole the whole way that that came came to be right. You know that you were you knew of Kubrick's background mm-hmm. as a photographer for Look magazine. Mm-hmm. And you thought that would be kind of an icebreaker, right? I mean, that if you came on set with a camera, it, it might be a, a way to sort of, you know, connect with, with Kubrick. Yes, that's, that's correct. Uh, it was a friend of mine gave me gave me this Rolleiflex camera and just thought, it, as, as Adam pointed out, a way to break the ice with Kubrick. And uh, he finally said to me one day, like, what are you doing with that old piece of shit camera? And I said, what are you talking about? This is a Rolleiflex. And he goes, I know what it is. He said, listen, if you're going to take pictures on my set, this is the camera that you should get. And these are the lenses you should get. And he was this new Minolta autofocus. And uh, so he picked out the lenses and he sent somebody to go and and uh, buy all the stuff. And uh, I hated it. I, I hated the Minolta, but this Rolleiflex, hmm. it was it was like it was just magical when you looked down into the lens, you know, because it's a twin lens reflex and you look down and uh, people behave differently in front of that camera. Um, your point of view is different because the camera's not up at your face. It's down by your belly button or or sitting on your chest. And, um, and it's, it's just a, it's just a different, a different experience and the way that you adjust, you know, self adjust the exposure, you know, so you can control the depth of field because the Minolta was too complicated. It was just, it was really cool feature, the autofocus, but it was really mechanical and noisy, and uh, and it, you know it just wasn't an interesting camera. But the important part of the sentence was when Stanley Kubrick said, if "You're going to take pictures on my set," and that that was the important discovery was that Stanley was going to allow me, uh, for whatever reason, to take pictures on his set. So it was an icebreaker in a way, then, um, or at least a green light. Absolutely. Yeah, very, I got the, cool. yeah, I got the, yeah, and and both and both of the, the Minolta photographs are also in the diary. So in the app, uh, that is, uh, we were able to scan those negatives nice. as well. And and frankly, they're not as nice as the Rolleiflex. I mean, they're they're uh, just the Rolleiflex is the quality of those images. I mean, a the negative is so much mm-hmm. larger, so there's so much more information than a standard of 35 millimeter. Uh, frame so it's just and I, I don't know I'm just I love the, the square images I think they're beautiful so something about composition yeah that sounds great and there's also uh there's a website fullmetaljacketdiary.com is that right mm-hmm. that's right yeah yeah and so and we have a, a twitter handle as well at fmj diary where we we kind of post any any sometimes we post new photos that we discover or mm-hmm. uh, people will send us like a lot of times people uh, but as we've started this project, individuals that have worked on the film, you know, who were extras or 
truck drivers or you know crew members they will send us uh images that they captured sort of secretly <laughs> to kind of add to this um to this project of sort of documenting the 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 entire filmmaking experience on on this particular movie and so we're we're always sort of getting these these new glimpses uh, and it's always great when we get a new one of either Stanley or or of Matthew, because, of course, he was taking most of the photos mm -hmm. in his diary. So there's not a lot of shots of him, <laughs> you know, uh, shooting his his camera. So it's always really fun to sort of see that other perspective, uh, seeing, you know, another individual's point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and again, all these images are then married to these diary entries that Matthew had recorded uh, while filmmaking, so it, it's it really they just go together so nicely. They really kind of paint a, a beautiful picture of of the filmmaking process. And I just think it's uh, I mean, even if you're not a filmmaker, uh, if you're an actor, if you're interested in film history, anything, it, this it, it, Matthew's diary is just such a great um, document of of the process of an artist. And, and of artists working together, collaborating. That's one big thing that Matthew's diary goes into great detail about is how Stanley was constantly discovering the film and especially the ending the entire time that he was asking Matthew for his input all along. And I'm Matthew can elaborate on that, but you know, the whole point being that a lot of people think that Stanley was like, he knew exactly what he wanted, but I think Matthew's diary sort of illuminates the fact that he was he was discovering the, the the film wow during you know during the journey yeah yeah he created an environment where he was always uh, allowing himself the opportunity to discover his movie he didn't you know so many movies today are pre-visioned you know and because the mm -hmm. movies have to be shot in 25 days so the directors don't have the opportunity of discovering and Stanley would say, you know, okay, what are you going to do? You know, and <laughs> like, like Robert Altman, what are you going to do? Yeah. And is that the way you're going to do it? And no, I'm only going half speed. Well, do it, do it the way that you're going to do it. Because how can I figure out where to put the camera, how to film the scene? Hmm. If you're doing it half speed, I can't, I can't do my job half speed. So do it like you're going to do it. And so you would you had to do the scenes as as, as though you were doing the scenes uh, for real, and while you were doing that, and you see glimpses of this in the uh, the documentary that Vivian Kubrick shot on The Shining, where Stanley's trying to figure out where's the best place to put the camera. That doesn't happen today, you know. The the the, the directors don't uh, figure out where they're going to put the camera. They they put the camera on a, on a slider and the, the person who's really figuring out where to put the camera is the camera operator. And so the, the films don't have that kind of uh, structure and, and uh, 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 composition that, 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 that films used to have. And, and certainly, you know, Stanley Kubrick's films all, almost always have. Yeah, and that's, composition is great way to summarize uh Kubrick's but yeah there and I love modern movies you know not all of them as we talked about earlier but but there there will never be another Kubrick Altman uh you know even Alan Parker I, you know he so so thank you Matthew 
Uh, yeah, people, so, you're welcome. People often often ask me, you know, is Christopher Nolan the new Stanley Kubrick? I said, I don't think that, that Christopher Nolan is trying to be the new Stanley Kubrick. I think he's trying to be uh, the best uh, Christopher Nolan he can be. And that's why he's a good filmmaker. I, I think, you know, you, you can draw from inspiration. I'm sure you, you've drawn um, from other actors, but uh, including the ones you mentioned earlier. But, uh, but yeah, you got to be your own your own person. So love you, Matthew. I'm a huge fan. Uh, love your craft. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And uh, I can't wait to see the Criterion Closet video. And uh, and I'm sure our, our listeners will talk a lot about that and, and uh, the film choices you made and you know, how much or how little you took. So, um, oh, and I almost forgot, uh, speaking of being generous, you're so generous that you, um, you're going to allow a giveaway. Um, Adam, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. We're going to give away, uh, a copy of shortcuts, uh, which Matthew will sign and, uh, the criterion release, of course. And, uh, well, and also a copy of the new, birdie release from indicator uh, that we discussed earlier so both uh matthew will sign and uh i'll uh, aaron will explain i believe the details of how to win <laughs> on the facebook page i think but yeah. uh yeah the, the the we'll we'll make sure that um we shift these to uh whoever those lucky winners are uh at some point over the next few weeks yeah, we'll put a in in the uh, Criterion Now group. We'll put a, a a post up, or actually, you just respond to the episode, and we'll just randomize and whoever's one and two are, are the lucky ones. I'm sure a lot of people will want them. So, in fact, I I want them. So maybe I'll win. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- again, I, thank I you think so much. Get you one, uh, uh, no matter what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that no, part of it? <laughs> you've already, yeah, you've already won. Okay. Uh, okay so. I, wow, lucky me. <laughs> Um, all yeah. right. Well, I'll call my dad. Actually, this is the one podcast episode my dad will uh, be thrilled to listen to. So thank you again, Good. Matthew. Uh, honored to speak to you. Uh, looking forward to seeing the, the your movies that are coming out soon or recently out. And are, are, I, I don't. I stopped watching Stranger Things at season two, or I should, should say I, I paused Stranger Things. Are you still on Stranger Things? If I told you that, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Got it. All right. So watch Stranger Things from the beginning and who knows what will happen. Um, and Adam, uh, who of knows? course, who knows? Adam, uh, a lot of listeners will know you. We didn't set, set this up, but we'll know you from Wrong Reel. You're uh, friends with James yeah. Hancock and yeah. a producing partner with, with uh, Matthew. So thank you for joining. And uh, yeah, thanks. And, and Matthew, where can people, what's your Twitter? Uh, at Matthew Modine. At Matthew at Modine. Instagram, the book. Yeah, with the little blue tick at Matthew Modine on Twitter and uh, uh, Instagram. And we'll put that obviously. On... I'm I'm kidding. I, I, I wouldn't kill you. I if I knew the answer <laughs> to this Stranger Things uh, if a conundrum, I'd, I'd I'd love to tell you. But the, the, that 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 world all exists inside the the minds and creativity of the Duffer Brothers. There you go. So who who knows? Yeah. yeah well. Speak, I, I didn't want to. Yeah, nowadays, characters can get killed off, so I, don't don't even tell me. Um, uh, one, one day, yeah. we'll, I'll, I'll I'll pick pick it back up. So, uh, again, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sir.